Hey church, today's Bible reading will be from Luke chapter 17 verses 1 to 19. As you pull that up in your Bibles, I'll just introduce myself and tell you a little bit about me. So my name is Vivianne Toma. I'm currently involved in the kids' church ministry, so shout out to all you kids. I'm also on the welcoming team for night services and I'm also on the missions team, heading up Operation Christmas Child, which more information will be coming out about that shortly as we enter Operation Christmas Child season. So get keen and yeah, get involved. Alrighty, today's passage will be from Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 19. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Thank you. Well, hello, my beautiful family. Great to be with you today. Thank you so much for coming and um, and tuning in. I really can't wait, though, to, to be together again in a few weeks and um, looking forward so much to, to getting back together with you guys at church. Hey, church, what is it about getting older that makes us less daring? You know, it seems to me that when I turned 50, that I suddenly turned into a more measured, a, a more mature a more responsible, a more, if I was truth, a more of a wimp of a person, I've got to say. Because when I was in my 20s and God would say to me, Mark, I want you to do this, man, I was all ready to go for it. God had said to me, I want you to join the, uh, run the youth group. I said, no worries. God said, I want you to leave your job and become a missionary. I said, no worries. God said, I want you to leave your girlfriend, go overseas and serve me over there. I said, no worries. And God said, I want you to trust me because I'm going to provide a car and a caravan and a round-the-world ticket for you. And I said to God, no worries. But you know now, 
I'm in my 50s. God says to me, I want you to go across the street and I want you to go and tell someone about Jesus. Well, I'm starting to shake. I'm starting to get all nervous. I'm starting to think of all excuses not to do it. And it seems to me that the older I get, I'm becoming much more of a wimp. And I can really relate to the apostles in the passage that we looked at today when Jesus asked them to do something, and it was pretty tough. Jesus asked them and they shouted out, they called out to Jesus to increase my faith. To increase my faith. And we're going to look at this passage. We're going to look at us because often we need to ask God to increase our faith. So if you've got your Bibles there today, please go and grab them. If you haven't, please put me on pause and go and grab your Bible. You're going to need them. I won't disappear. I'll be back when you come back and unpause me. But grab your Bibles. We're going to look at Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 10. It's a great passage to look at. It's been a great series. Now, the context of the passage that we're looking at today, it has Jesus heading towards Jerusalem. Now, he's going there to die on the cross for you and for me. Now, he realizes that his time is short. And so he realized that he needs to start preparing his disciples, his followers, and his billions of followers like you and I that were going to come about how we were to live as a Christian community, how we were to live as a church family. And so he starts to teach them these things. And he teaches them first in this passage. The first thing I want you to see is he teaches them something really important about sin. Have a look with me in Luke 17, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But woe, he says, but woe to that person through whom they come. Now, I love Jesus. I love Jesus' teaching because Jesus is a realist. You know, Jesus, when he lived in this world, he was fully man as well as fully God. And Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted. He knew what it was like to have Satan trying to get him to stumble and to fall. But Jesus loved his disciples. And one of the things that he wanted to teach them was that they, just like you and I, are going to struggle with our fleshly desires. We're going to struggle with sin. Sin, he says, is bound to come. He was basically telling them that, guys, sin is at the door. Sin is crouching at your door, waiting to attack. It is bound to come. Now, church, I'm not sure about you guys, but I can really relate to that. You know, can you relate to that? Because, I mean, for me, sin is a daily battle. It really is. You know, I've noticed one thing about the lockdown that we've been in, and it's really strange because, you know, I've had more time at home, more time to get close to God, and yet I feel I've actually grown further away from God through this lockdown. You know, sin is an incredibly serious thing, and Jesus is warning them that it's bound to come. Now, it's bound to come in our life, and he's teaching them there, and he's asking them, warning them there, not to just throw up their hands and say, oh, it's just too hard. You know, it's who I am. I can't fight it, so I might as well go with it. Well, because Jesus loves these guys, and he loves you and I, he warns us that, yes, it's coming. Yes, it's right here. But he also warns us that we need to take it incredibly seriously. It is so serious that he says, woe. Woe to that person through whom that sin comes. It's an incredible warning here, isn't it? You know, Jesus realized that souls here are at stake. 
And sin is something that we do not want to be mucking around with. We do not want to be playing with, do we? I mean, for instance, just say getting drunk. You know, that's one thing that's between God and you. But I think what he's saying here, that if warning us that if we go and take someone and go and get them drunk, then woe. Woe to that person. You know, I think Jesus is saying something like that, you know, if if we're struggling to come to church or we don't want to serve God in a ministry or whatever it is, you know, that's between God and you. But Jesus would say to us, woe, woe to that person who stops somebody else from coming to church or stops someone else from um, getting involved in a ministry. He would say, woe, woe, this is so, so serious. You see, in verse two, look how he describes it. He says to that person who's, who's, who's helping another person sin or bringing them to their sinful life, he would say to them that it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So he says in verse 4, watch yourself. Watch yourself. I mean, what a horrible way Jesus is describing here to die. I mean, could you imagine being thrown into the water with a millstone wrapped around your neck and you're going further and further down into the sea? You know, you can only hold your breath for so long and you've got to make the decision to take a breath. And as you make that decision to take a breath, your lungs are filled, instead of with oxygen, they're filled with water and you drown. It's an incredibly horrible picture that Jesus is painting here. And I think Jesus is painting such a horrible picture here because sin is so horrible. Because sin is such a horrible thing in our life because it separates us from God. It separates us from one another. And Jesus is pleading with us. He's pleading with his disciples, pleading with you and me to watch ourselves, to not let try, don't tread lightly with sin. Don't become so familiar with your sin that you just, just live with it. And you just let it wash over you and, and, and think to yourself, well, it only affects me because it doesn't. Your sin affects me. It affects others in the community. You know, your sin doesn't only affect your children, it actually affects my children. Because we as a Christian community live together. We don't live in isolation. And as funny as that may be, as our government is trying to lock us down and isolate us, we are not born to live in isolation. We are born, we have a need for community. We have a need for one another. And so Jesus is warning his disciples as he's preparing them for when he's not going to be around, that they need to watch themselves. Because sin is bound to come. Now he then goes on to the second point that I want to bring out. That he warns them about a responsibility that we all have to one another. This is the second thing that I want you to see from the passage, that a responsibility is given to us as brothers and sisters. Look at verse 3. He says, if your brother sins, what are you to do? What's your responsibility? It's to rebuke him. If he repents, what's our responsibility? It is to forgive him. Verse 4 says that if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says that I repent, what's our responsibility? It is to forgive him. So there it is, brothers and sisters. It's pretty simple teaching, isn't it? That our responsibility is. Jesus is saying, not only do we have to be very careful 
about our sin, because it's bound to come, but we have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters. Now, notice this responsibility is not to go and rebuke people who aren't Christians. It's not to go and confront and rebuke the world about their sin. This responsibility is given to us, the Christian community, so that we as a community can function, so that we as a community can help one another when we fall. Because it's not a matter of when, if we fall, it's a matter of when we fall. You see, Jesus knows our struggle. And so Jesus cuts through all our masks. Jesus is cutting through all our pride. Jesus knows our struggle. And he's saying, brothers, you have a responsibility that when your brother or your sister falls, we are to rebuke them. Now that's tough, isn't it? Man, that's incredibly tough. Take it from someone who hates confrontation. Take it from someone who would rather stick their head in the sand than confront someone about their sin. You know, some of the hardest things that I've done in church leadership and as being a pastor is to actually confront a brother or a sister about their sin. You know, when I've had to do it, it's been through much angst. It's been through much pain, much prayer, much tears and much love that I've had to do it. You know, we certainly don't do it lightly as, as, a, as a leadership in a church because we need, you need to understand that we are not the religious police. We're not the religious police, but we are to act in love. Love has to be the, the main cause of rebuking someone. You know, a couple of weeks ago, um, I was actually on the other side of being rebuked. And um, a beautiful brother of mine, whom I love dearly, um, came to me and um, he saw something in my life that he, that he thought wasn't right. And um, he confronted me about it. And I know it pained him. I know it wasn't easy for him. And um, I've got to admit, I didn't necessarily agree with what he was saying. I didn't like what he was saying. But you know what? You know, my love for this brother grew even more because I could see that in his love for me, that he was willing to put himself out to come and rebuke me for something that he saw. My love for him grew because of that. You see, church, what's our responsibility? What's your responsibility? I mean, just say, for instance, that um, a brother in our church was, was in his workplace and you saw that he was spending way too much time with another woman who, who wasn't his wife. What's your responsibility? I mean, is our responsibility to say, oh, gee, I'm not going to say anything. You know, I might lose his friendship. Oh, I'm not going to say anything. You know, who am I to say anything? You know, because that love is only for yourself. It's not for him because you don't want to be put out. You know, real love would be to go to that brother and say to that brother, mate, what's going on? You know, you're playing with fire here. You're not doing the right thing. You're just going to lead down a dangerous, dangerous path. Mate, let me help you. What can I do to help you? You see, that's what would be real love. You see, we wouldn't let a brother or a sister jump off a pier down at the beach, would we? And when we could see that there was a shark under the pier and they hadn't seen it. Now, what would we do? We would yell, we would scream, stop, stop, stop. And you know, I think in our Christian lives, in our Christian community, there are times where we are called to say, stop, stop, stop. And in love, go and confront and rebuke a brother. 
and not only for their good, but for the good of the church family. See, we have a responsibility, don't we? The first one is to rebuke. The second one, he calls out responsibility, is that we are called. Notice that if he repents, our responsibility is to forgive. You see, repentance and forgiveness come hand in hand. You know, they're not mutually exclusive. And it's actually, as Christians, it's who we are. You know, if we are claiming to be a follower of Jesus, then we need to be people who are willing to forgive. We need to be people who are known to repent and forgive. It has to be in our DNA. It really does. Now, the word repent is a funny word, isn't it? You know, you don't often hear somebody say, oh, you know, I'm sorry for gossiping. Um, please forgive me. I, I repent. Please forgive me. You know, we, I haven't heard that ever. <laughs> Have you? I haven't heard that. So what does repentance mean? What does it look like? You know, I think genuine repentance is when we are genuinely sorrow, sorrowful for what we have done. That we genuinely may be going one way and we turn around and we go the other way. And we genuinely try to change our behaviour. Now that does not mean that we will always succeed in changing our behaviour. But I think there needs to be a genuine heart to try. So look, if you've stolen something, for instance, stolen somebody's money, I think genuine repentance would involve trying to make amends. I don't think genuine repentance would be you going off and living the high life and, um, and never trying to pay it back. No, I think genuine repentance has to have actions. But our call, though, as Christians, our call, though, as a body of believer, believers, is not to run an investigation into how genuine they are. Our call is actually just to forgive. We are called to forgive. And Jesus goes on to pretty much teach us that our forgiveness is unlimited. I mean, look what Jesus says. He goes further here. That he says that if he sins against you. Now, it's getting personal here. It's not a sin against the church. It's not a sin against somebody else. He says if he sins against you even seven times, but seven times repents, we are still to forgive. Now, this is radical teaching. You know, the Jews thought that they were doing pretty well if they were forgiving three times. But Jesus goes even further and says, no, he's calling you for seven times. What Jesus is teaching here is there's no limit to our forgiveness. Forgiveness is in our DNA, that we are people who forgive, even when it hurts, church, even when it costs. We are people to forgive. The question, though, has got to be asked, what about the brother and sister who doesn't repent? What about them? Are we to forgive them? Or are we just to say no way? Well, let's look at the passage. The passage clearly says, doesn't it? It states that the sinner has to repent before we forgive. So it would seem, just looking at that, that we're off the hook. That I don't have to forgive old, you know, the bloke over in the second row. I don't have to forgive that woman over there who, who said something that hurt me, who did something that hurt me. Oh, I don't have to forgive them if they don't repent. You know, I think before we take that attitude, I really think we need to look at the man that we follow, the God that we follow, and look what Jesus' response was about forgiveness. You know, in Luke chapter 23, 34, Jesus is on the cross. Jesus is surrounded by a whole lot of unrepentant soldiers, a whole lot of unrepentant Jewish leaders 
who had brutalized and put him on the cross. Here they were divvying up his clothes at the bottom of the cross. And Jesus, look what he said. Look what Jesus called out. He said this, Father, calling out to God, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You know, another great example I think that we need to look at is Stephen. Stephen, one of the great followers of Jesus in the early church in Acts 760. Stephen was being martyred for his faith. He was being stoned to death with rocks that were crashing upon his head. He was surrounded by a whole lot of unrepentant people who were killing him. Look what Stephen said. Stephen said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. You see, both Stephen and both and Jesus were people who were willing to forgive, even the very people that were killing them. You see, church, we must be known as people who forgive, as we have been greatly forgiven. You see, we cannot continue to be enslaved to an unforgiving spirit when we have been set free. And you know what? Jesus wants you to be free. Because so often when we have unforgiveness in our heart, the only person that suffers when we hold on to this unforgiveness is you. You're the only one that suffers. You know, I heard one of the great theologians in our church, Hammond, say this quote. He often says it in our Bible study about unforgiveness. Is Unforgiveness is like someone who drinks rat poison and then waits for the rat to die. Someone who drinks rat poison and then waits for the rat to die. You see, the rat isn't affected at all. The rat just goes off on his way. But it's the person who has unforgiving heart that drinks in this poison of unforgiveness. He's the one that suffers. He's the one. You are the one that suffers. And yet Jesus wants us to be set free from that. He wants us to be free of it. You see, church, what are we doing when we, we don't forgive? I mean, what are we, what are we doing when we don't, we don't forgive someone? We're basically playing God, aren't we? And you know, God doesn't want us to play God. God simply wants us to leave the punishing to him, to leave the justice to him, to let go of your right to be angry, to let go of your right to punish to let go of your right not to forgive and leave it with him. You see, Jesus knows our pain. Jesus knows when you were done wrong. Jesus knows your suffering and the pain that has caused you in your life. And Jesus came on that cross to set you free from that. And he simply wants you to live with peace and freedom with him. And to come and be free and break in the bondage and the hold that unforgiveness enslaves us with. And he wants us to be set free. Now to be really honest, that's tough, isn't it? It's tough. It's really tough to forgive. And if you're sitting there today and, and you're thinking, Mark, oh, I, just, I can't forgive. Mark, I just can't do it. You don't know what I've been through, and I, and I probably don't. But I want to say to you this morning that if that's how you're feeling, you know what? You're in good company. You're in incredibly good company because the apostles were struggling with exactly the same thing. You see, the apostles were hearing this teaching of Jesus and they were blown away. This was tough teaching. Man, they thought they were good for three, but no, Jesus is saying now it's, it's unforgiveness all the way. 
It's, it's forgiveness all the way, sorry. Jesus was saying that we're to forgive and again forgive. And so the apostles hearing that, realizing that, that they couldn't do it on their own strength. And so they called out to Jesus and they asked Jesus, they said, to increase our faith. You know, I've heard so many of my brothers and sisters say exactly the same thing. They're saying, Mark, I just can't do it. I just can't do it on my own strength. And, and, and they need to have their faith strengthened. You see, I think so many of us, though, wrongly think that we have to reach a level of faith or a, a huge faith to be able to forgive, to be able to trust God, to be able to reach a level of maturity where we can just trust God with the hurts in our life. But, you know, Jesus flips that thinking on his head, doesn't he? He flips it in verse 6. Look what he says in verse 6. He says to them, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. You see, Jesus is saying here that it's not the quantity of your faith. It's actually the quality of your faith. It's not how much faith you have. It's the quantity of it's the quality of your faith. And your faith can be as small as a mustard seed, which is incredibly tiny. But if it's in God's will, he says you can uproot a mulberry tree and with an amazing root structure. I mean, why does Jesus talk about the mulberry tree? The mulberry tree was known to the Jews for an incredibly strong root structure, which allowed it to thrive in incredibly tough conditions. And he was saying there, using this mulberry tree as an illustration, as something to move, it was impossible. You know, I was pulling out a tree stump the other day. We had an excavator, we had a chainsaw, we had an axe, and we couldn't move it because the roots were so strong. And Jesus is using the mulberry tree as an illustration to show these disciples that he can do with faith as small as a mustard seed the impossible. And he's saying that you don't need to have faith like Moses who parted the Red Sea. You don't need a level of faith to be like Noah who built a, an ark in the middle of nowhere, no, miles from the sea. You just need faith. And faith may be as small as a mustard seed in a God who through the power of the Holy Spirit, not in your own power, you know, we, we cannot forgive in our own power at times because the hurt is so great. But in the power of a God living within you, you can forgive and be set free. You can be set free from being enslaved to unforgiveness. Now, I want to say to us this morning that if you are struggling this morning to forgive, then please call out to God. Please call out to God like the apostles to increase my faith. But realize that Jesus is saying you only need a little bit of faith. And you can be set free. You see, don't wait till you think you've reached this level. But if you've put your trust in Jesus, if you've put your trust in his death and his resurrection, if you've committed your life to following him, if you've asked the Holy Spirit to come into your life, then you have enough faith. You have a power of the Holy Spirit living in you to forgive and to be set free. Set free from unforgiveness. Look lastly, in verse 7 to 10, Jesus goes on to tell another parable. And once again, he's teaching the apostles the important lesson, how to function as a family. Remember, he's taught us that sin is real. It's bound to come. It's real. So watch yourself. Then he taught them that we have a responsibility as a Christian believing community to rebuke, repent and forgive and to do it in love. 
And then he goes on and he tells this story. Now, the basics of the story is that there's a slave who's working out in the field and the slave comes into the home at night. And Jesus asks the question about the boss. He says, would the boss, seeing the servant come in from a hard day's work, would the boss say to the servant, ah, oh, come in and sit down to eat? Would he do that? No. In verse 8, would he not, the boss, say to the servant, prepare my supper? And get ready yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. And after that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? That's the question he asks. Now, the closest thing in Australia to having a servant, I'd have to say, or a slave, would have to be having an apprentice. Now, I'm in the building industry and I've got, I work with four apprentices. Some are good. And some are bad. But you know, what you want to see in an apprentice is that an apprentice, a good apprentice, just does what he's told. He gets off the rotten phone and he does what he's told. He does the task you set before him. Now, some of the apprentices that I've had, I've had many apprentices over many years. Some of them want to be like the, bo the boss. They want to you to serve them. They want you to come in and you do all the cleaning and you do all the basic jobs. And they want you as the boss to do all that for them because they've come from a culture of entitlement where they believe that you're all about to serve them. Well, let me just tell you, if you're thinking about being an apprentice, that that stops very, very quickly. That idea dissolves probably on your first day as you learn your position, as you learn your job. You know, the apprentices that are successful, that go on to become good tradesmen, are ones that not necessarily are wanting a pat on the back for every brick that they pick up. They're not wanting a pat on the back for every room they clean or every piece of timber that they nail because they realise that that's their job. That's their duty. That's what they're employed to do. And in verse 10, Jesus is saying the same about us. As Christians he's saying in verse 10 so you also when you have done everything you were told to do should say this is what you should say we are an unworthy servants we have only done our duty you see church Jesus has warned us today hasn't he that sin is bound to come it is serious it will affect us all we have a responsibility to rebuke a brother or sister in love with a heart to forgive and to restore them. And as hard as that may be, he says we only need a little bit of faith, as small as a mustard seed. And so, church, if we're going to carry out this responsibility, if we as a church, and we at Toon Gabby Baptist Church are going to put this into practice, then we need to live this out. As hard as it may be, and, and, and please don't hear me that I'm trivialising trivializing forgiveness. I'm not. I know how hard and how painful it is in many of our lives. But when we carry this out, when we live this out, should we be looking for a pat on the back? Should we be looking for, for someone to say, hey, wow, that's really special. That's really strange that I've seen you do that. You know, it's unusual to see that. Should that be what we're looking for? Should we be looking for a pat on the back? Jesus is saying, no. He's saying, no. He's saying that this should be just who we are. This should be a part of our day-to-day -day living, that we are people of forgiveness. 
that is, that is in our DNA. It's what is practiced. It's what we see week after week. Jesus is saying that we are simply to do our duty. And our duty, as we've seen from this passage today, is a duty to forgive, a duty to rebuke, a duty to repent, and I think most importantly, a duty to forgive. It has to be who we are as a people of followers of Jesus. We are unworthy. We are so unworthy. You know, that's what Jesus says in the end. We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, we struggle to think that we are unworthy. You know, we all think we're, 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 we've done something to make us worthy. But Jesus is saying, no, we are unworthy servants. We are unworthy of his love. We are unworthy of him dying on the cross. We are unworthy for him washing our sins as white as snow. We are unworthy of him calling us his sons and daughters. We are unworthy and our duty is to simply carry out to be a people of forgiveness in the power of the Holy Spirit to believe in Jesus that he would empower us to forgive as we have been greatly forgiven. And church, when we do that, you know, when we carry that out, I really believe that we are freed up to be the beautiful people, the beautiful followers of Jesus that God calls us to be. But church, we have to do our duty or we're going to miss out on what God has in store for us. We're going to live like enslaved people to unforgiveness if we don't come and trust in the Lord with a little bit of faith and through the power of his spirit to be people who are able to forgive even seven times. We're to be people of forgiveness. And I know that's tough. And I know for some of us, we're going to need prayer today. And I know this may have brought up things in your life today that are painful and hurtful. So let me just pray for us now as we close. I really want to pray for you. And um, I really want to pray that we as a church, that we as individuals, will be people who are willing and able to forgive in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, church, let me just pray for us. Lord God, I just really, really want to thank you this morning. The Lord, when there's times in our life that we've been hurt, we've been taken advantage of, Lord, that you were there. Lord, that we didn't go through difficult times on our own. That you're a God who knows our pain. You're a God who, who knows the, the angst and the anguish that has brought into our life. I thank you that you know us personally, deeply. And I thank you for today that the teaching from your word today has shown us a way forward. And the way forward is to forgive, to be people who hand our pain and our hurts over to our heavenly Father. And Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here today who are struggling with this. I pray that today that they would have faith as small as a mustard seed. And if they haven't got that, then they would call out to God and say, God, increase my faith. Increase my faith, Lord God. And Lord, that they would take this faith as small as a mustard seed and they would experience forgiveness. They would experience freedom from being enslaved to unforgiveness. Oh Lord, please do an amazing thing in their lives today. Lord, please may we be a community of believers who are so aware of sin and we're careful 
and we watch ourselves, that we rebuke when we need to rebuke. We repent and we forgive when we need to repent and we will do our duty and we'll do it because we love you and we do it because you loved us first and you've given us a way out. And so, Lord God, I want to thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you that we do not have to remain enslaved to unforgiveness. Set us free, Lord, today. And I pray for that for my brothers and sisters. Lord, thank you for hearing us and thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen, brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Hey, can't wait. Three weeks away, I think, and um, we'll be together. And if you would like prayer, if you'd like someone, please ring the church office through the week um, and please hang around. We'd love to, to speak more about it. Have a great week, church. Love yous. See you soon.